Lord, have your way in me. That's what God wants to do. He wants to have his way in us. He doesn't want us to have our way. He wants us to want his way. Don't you want to worship him for what he has done for us and going to the cross and dying for your sins and giving you a heart now to worship him? Don't you love him? Thank you, Lord Jesus. If you have your Bibles, I know most of you don't because you use the TV screens, right? But if you have the Bibles, or you could use one of the Pew Bibles, although I am reading out of the ESV, turn with me to John chapter 16. We're going to read through verses 4, the second half of 4 to 15. And if you remember the last time I spoke, we looked at Jesus promising that when he left... When he left his apostles, his disciples, the Holy Spirit would come and fill them with his presence, which would actually be for their advantage. And through them, and by extension actually to all believers, would deeply convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. This is the work of the Spirit, not the Christian. But he works through the Christian, amen? Another work of the Spirit, which we're going to look at today, that was, that was part one when I spoke about a month ago. Another work of the Holy Spirit, which we'll look at, is to guide believers into all the truth. And this is extremely important. I can't stress that enough how important this is because, hey listen, God says truth matters. <laughs> truth for the Christian Matters. Truth for you as a believer matters. So be encouraged that the Holy Spirit reveals truth to you, not lies. And the truth is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And that truth, the Spirit of God reveals to us about Christ, is truth that actually glorifies it. Did you know that? That when you believe the truth, live out the truth, it glorifies God. Turn with me to John chapter 16. We're going to read verses 4, the second half of 4, to verse 15. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send them to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. That's what we looked at the last time. Now we're going to pick it up here today. This is part two. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for I will take, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let us pray. Father, we thank you, God, for this eternal truth. Help us, God, to have hearts to absorb this truth. Help your spirit to open our minds and our hearts. So not only do we understand the truth, but we live the truth. In Christ's precious name. Dr. James Dobson, in December 1990, 
1991, wrote his newsletter quoting George Varner. George Varner was a religious um, you know, survey. And what he wrote was, what Americans believe. And it said this. In the survey taken in early 1991, interviewers were asked, do you agree strongly, agree somewhat, disagree somewhat, but disagree strongly with the following statement? There is no such thing as absolute truth. Different people can define truth in conflicting ways and still be correct. Only 28% of the respondents expressed strong belief in absolute truth. And more surprisingly, only 23% of born-again or evangelical Christians accepted this idea. What a telling revelation. If more than, if more than 75% of the followers of Christ says nothing can be known for certain, does this indicate, as it seems, that they are not convinced that Jesus existed? That he is who he claimed to be? That his word is authentic? That God created the heavens and, and the earth? Or that eternal life awaits the believer? That's what the findings appear to mean. If there is no absolute truth, then by definition, nothing can be said to be absolutely true. The majority, to the majority, apparently, it is all relative. Nothing is certain. Might be, might not be. Who knows for sure? Take your guess and hope for the best. You know, um, we're living in a postmodern culture. A postmodern culture that says there are no absolute truths. But that's a contradiction. Because you just made an absolute statement. There is no absolute truth. You, you just made a statement that you say to be true. So the postmodern world doesn't realize that they are actually contradicting themselves. Chuck Colson writes, Another poll sheds light on this paradox of increased re religiosity and decreased morality. According to sociologist Robert Bila, 81% of the American people also say they agree that an individual should arrive at his or her own religious belief independent of any church or synagogue. Thus, the key to the, to the paradox is the fact that those who claim to be Christians are arriving at faith on their own terms. Terms that make no demands on behavior. A woman named Sheila, interviewed for Bila's Habits of the Heart, embodies this attitude. I believe in God, she said. I can't remember the last time I went to church. But my faith has carried me a long way. It's Sheilaism, just my own little voice. And that's idolatry. But I want to tell you anything. When you think that way, that is idolatry. She's her own God. She gets her directives from self, influenced by Satan. And I want to say something, and I hope you listen. This is a lost world. And wouldn't know the truth about Jesus if it fell over it. We expect that. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Paul told the Corinthian church, in their case, those who are perishing, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. We expect that because... God tells us in his word. The world may know some truth about the historical Jesus, but they don't know the truth of his gospel. So we expect the unbelieving world to reject the truth of the gospel. But what is troubling to me is when those who call themselves Christian deny truth or waver in their commitment to truth. <clears throat> Now, I'm not speaking about when the body of Christ at times disagrees about certain doctrines like modes of baptism or spiritual gifts. I'm not talking about that. That's going to happen. We could still be unified. Although I want to make it clear, even the lesser important teachings of Scripture are still important and still the Word of God. When my children were young, if I told them, don't run across the street, you'll get killed. Or when you go to that party, don't eat too much cake. Both truths, right? Well, one is a more important truth. But the lesser important truth is still truth, and it still needs to be heeded by my children when they were younger, right? God's word, no matter how lesser of important it is, is still God's word, and is still required by us to obey and to believe and obey. 
<clears throat> so if someone shows you or me the truth from the Bible, something we believed wrongly and we rejected, that is of course dangerous. But I'm not focusing on that. I'm focusing on people who call themselves Christian and deny some of the essential truths concerning salvation. When you deny the virgin birth, when you deny the deity of Christ, justification by faith alone, etc., biblically, biblically, not me, not the one standing behind this pulpit, but biblically, you're not a Christian. You can't deny the essential truths and call yourself a Christian. <clears throat> On the other side of this, even believing truth by itself doesn't save if it's not by faith. By the way, See if you know your Bibles. Even the demons believe and tremble. James 2.19. Devils believe. They're, they have great orthodox doctrine. They understand. They understood who Jesus was. When Jesus walked the earth, what did he, and he was casting out demons out of people, what did they shout out? What would you have us do, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? They knew He was God in human flesh. Their theology is better than some of these Christians you hear on TV. So-called Christians, anyway. The devil knows the truth about God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. But he hates it, and he hates the, the Trinity. Their belief is, is fruitless. Truth that genuinely takes place in someone's heart produces good fruit. So truth matters, and truth needs to be believed, and truth needs to be acted upon by faith. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit, who guides the believer into all the truth, and gives the believer the power to live this truth out. Now my proposition for this message of course, it's the same as the last one because it's just part two. The Holy Spirit works in and through you to convict sinners. That was part one. Reveal truth and glorify Christ. We're in part two. And the first point we looked at the last time was the Holy Spirit's presence in you. That was point one. And point two was the Holy Spirit's presence in you convicts the world. And today we're going to be looking at point three. The Holy Spirit's presence guides you into truth. Now, I want to say this. I would listen to part one to get the whole picture of this message. You could go to our website, centralministries.org, and click on sermons, and you could read part one, or listen to part one. Let's go through verses 12 to 15 again. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the last time I spoke, we looked at the spirit's presence in you because Jesus went to the Father. And he sent you his spirit for your advantage. Now, you know, people say all the time, you know, I wish I walked the earth when Jesus walked the earth. Well, you have it better than, than the apostles had it. Do you know that? You have the completed word of God and you have the Holy Spirit living in your heart. You have it better. We also looked at the Spirit's presence in and through you, convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We said that the last time that... It's the work of the Holy Spirit. You proclaim the gospel and the world gets convicted of sin, of righteousness and judgment. Not you doing the convicting, the convicting, but the Holy Spirit doing the convicting through you. And now we see another work of the divine spirit. And that is to guide you into all the truth. So let's start with verse 12. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Now Jesus had more that he wanted them to know. But it was more than the disciples could bear at that particular time. They were spiritually dull and sorrowful at the same time. Spiritually dull because they couldn't grasp the reality that their Messiah was going to be crucified, resurrected, and would ascend back to the Father. They could not understand that. 
How could the Messiah be crucified? You see, they still held... Excuse me. They still held that Messiah was going to be the deliverer of Israel. Delivering them from Roman oppression. They still held that view, like their fellow Jews. They couldn't understand that their God, their Messiah, was going to be crucified. They were spiritually dull. But they were also sorrowful. Because they were spiritually dull, they were sorrowful. Because Jesus was leaving them. So Jesus wasn't going to say more to them because they couldn't handle it at that point. And Jesus knew this. The tender shepherd that he is, right? He knew this and cared enough for them not to overburden them. But when the Holy Spirit fell upon them, the Holy Spirit focused on helping them grasp the reality of Jesus' words and help them to live out what Jesus said. But it wasn't until then that they could have this power. And at that point, they couldn't, they couldn't fully understand it or live it out because they didn't have the resurrection power yet. But when the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost, they were able to bear more truth from the Savior and able to live it out. By the way, don't try to make an unbeliever live the Christian life. We struggle. You're going to try to put the burden on the... Bring them to Christ. Christ will do the work in their hearts. Christ will help them to live it out. I love, you know, especially when I was a newer Christian, you try to make the unbeliever live like you. Without the word of God, without the spirit's power, and I'm falling all over the place at that time, and and, and, and I'm trying to make people live the Christian life. Can't do it. But back to Jesus not giving his disciples more than they can bear. What a fantastic teacher Jesus is. What a, he is the best teacher in the world. He never gives us more than we can bear or understand. This is a mark of a wise teacher. Don't give your hearers more than they can understand. When I first started teaching Bible study, I'm talking about almost 40 years ago. First of all, I shouldn't have been put in a position to teach Bible studies when I was only a year in the Lord. But I was put in that position, and I loved it. And I studied hard. But I'm going to teach everything I learned. I mean, at, I had a, a Matthew Henry comment. That's a purity. You ever read some of his stuff? It's a little, you know, a little sometimes hard to understand. But I would read and I would, I would give the class Greek words and theology to make their head spin. Some of them would look at me cross-eyed. They really would. And I believe God still used it, even though I was an unskilled at teaching. But teachers must learn how to teach and preach. I've learned and I'm still learning not to teach everything I know, but to give this congregation what they can bear. When we first started adult Bible study, by the way, it starts next Sunday. That's a little hint. It's a push. And and, uh, the men's discipleship group will start next Monday, not tomorrow, next Sunday. So Bible study next Sunday and men's discipleship group the following, uh, following Monday, the 18th. We're the 17th, and Brian's group is the 18th. But when I uh, first started uh, adult Bible study, I started teaching uh, this curriculum called foundation, Foundational Doctrines. That is what the congregation needed. They needed foundational doctrines, and that's what they were able to bear. Now the class has graduated from a basic understanding of the Bible and what we believe to a deeper understanding. We also want to grow and not stay the same. Right? You don't want to keep giving the people foundations because then you're building foundation upon foundation upon foundation. You want to let them grow. But if I started teaching academic levels, which we're on now, some may have understood, but most would not have grasped the meaning of the teaching. But even if you're not called to the office of teaching and preaching, I believe this still can apply to every Christian. You give the Christian your discipling. And by the way, every Christian should be discipling another Christian. Okay? So if you're not, grab somebody. Start discipling them. Start teaching them what you've learned. So, you, you, you are not to give the Christian your discipling more than they can bear. 
give them what they can understand. Or if you're witnessing, you don't teach the unbeliever the doctrine of imputation or the doctrine of eschatology. You know, you don't do that. You share Christ and what he did for them on the cross for their sins. It's like a child going to school. They're not taught trigonometry, trigonometry in kindergarten, are they? You know? <laughs> no, they're taught how to count first, and then add, and subtract, and multiply, etc., etc. And if you tried to teach a first grader algebra, they couldn't grasp it, no matter how smart they were. They have to start from the beginning. So, it wasn't until the Holy Spirit came to dwell in his disciples permanently that they would comprehend more truth that Jesus had for them. Until the Spirit came, they could not understand everything nor accomplish everything. This is also called progressive revelation. Dr. Kenneth Gengale said, progressive revelation is the principle that God does not dump all truth at one time and expect us to remember it, but teaches us truths as we need to know them. The Bible itself is the greatest example of this as we read God's progressive unfolding of the plan of salvation from Genesis to Revelation. Okay, so we're progressively learning truth. Okay, God doesn't dump everything on us at one time, but we're learning and we're growing. Verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So the Holy Spirit is known by many names, the Comforter, the Advocate, and over here he's uh, many more. And over here in verse 13, he's called the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth was to guide the disciples into all the truth, or better translated, into all in all the truth. That's the better translation. But I want us to look at two verses again. Okay, this is important. The first part of 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. And then John 14, 26. But when the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The you of John 14, 26 and here in John 16, 13 I think refers to that special inspiration uniquely given to the apostles which enabled them to complete the Bible that is the New Testament. So the immediate application or the immediate interpretation it's first to the apostles, where the Holy Spirit will teach them and remind them of what Jesus told them, and the Holy Spirit would give them further revelation after Jesus ascended back to the Father, where some of the apostles and their associates could now write the New Testament. It's only the Holy Spirit, who is God, who knows all things, and is able to reveal divine truth to man. He gave them the truth they needed to know so they could complete the canon of Scripture. That's the Bible. And that's why the Bible is inerrant, because it came from the Holy Spirit. Inerrant means without error. The Bible is without error. It's not possible for the Spirit of truth to inspire error. He's the only one who inspired holy men to write scripture. 2 Peter 1.21 For no prophecy, he's talking about scripture here. For no prophecy ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So when someone asks you, man wrote the Bible, you tell them, you're right. God inspired man and then he penned it. Is the Bible of divine origin? Yes. Is the Bible of human origin? Yes. God, the Holy Spirit, presided over these men, using their personalities, using their vocabularies, using their thought processes, and so on. So they recorded the exact words God wanted them to record without error. Can you trust your Bible? Yes. 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 Absolutely. So when Jesus said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, I believe it's primarily referenced 
first was to the writers of the New Testament. And as I was reading different commentaries, a lot of scholars believe this. But in the broader application, by the way, there's only one interpretation of the Bible. One interpretation. But there might be a thousand applications. Okay? could only be one interpretation because if there was more than one interpretation, then Jehovah's Witnesses could be right, Mormons could be right, Islam could be right, Buddhists can be right, Hindus could be right. No, there's only one interpretation, but there could be a thousand applications. So in a broader application, it also applies to every believer. The Spirit of God guides us, you, into all the truth. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9 and 10, But as it is, but as it is written... What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has promised for those who love him. And this is key. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. And then back down a couple of verses. 1 Corinthians 2.16 For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. I love that scripture. I, you as a believer... Have the mind of Christ. How do we have the mind of Christ? By the spirit of truth. He will guide you into all truth. You are privileged by the word of God. And the spirit of God. To know the thoughts of your Lord. You should be standing up shouting hallelujah. You have the mind of Christ. He will guide you in all the truth. This does not mean truth about math, truth about science, truth about geography, or information about someone's vocation. It means the Spirit will guide you, the believer, in spiritual truth that you need for salvation and growth in godliness. In other words, as Dr. Leon Morris said, the great Australian theologian, he said, he will show you the whole Christian way. This does not mean... We don't diligently study the Bible. That would be irresponsible on our part, right? But studying the Bible apart from the Holy Spirit is fruitless. You can't understand anything. That's why when, you know, I've met people. I met this one guy at work one time. He could talk theology. I mean, he could really talk. He, he gave me a run for my money. I mean, he could talk theology. He didn't have the Spirit of God. He was contradicting everything in it. But he was calling this and that. and you know, The Word of God without the Spirit of God is fruitless. We need the Spirit of God and the Word of God so we can have the mind of God. You need both. It's like having a car. If you don't have motor oil, your engine will eventually seize. If you don't have gas in your tank, your car will not run. You need both. Your car needs both. Motor oil and gasoline to run. You need the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to have the mind of Christ, which is truth. Here's some practical advice I want to give to you. Be filled with the Spirit. And walk in the Spirit. And diligently study and meditate on His Word. And you will be filled with the truth and the mind of Christ. In other words, live under the influence of the Spirit. You want to learn how to walk in the Spirit? Or how to be filled with the Spirit? Live under the influence of the Spirit. Pursue holiness. Let the Word of God control you. Die to self. Continuously surrender to God. Depend on Him. Live continuously in His presence. Pray. And the truth of Christ will be evident in you. Of course, we know this. Get away from me. We need the grace of God for this. Without the grace of God, this is fruitless. So the Holy Spirit's presence in you will guide you into truth. The second half of verse 13 tells us something very interesting. It tells us He, the Spirit, will declare to you the things that are to come. And the part of this verse, the things that are to come, of course has generated much controversy among Bible scholars. But I'll make it as simple as I can without being dogmatic. Basically, I think the Holy Spirit will remind the apostles the things Jesus had said and reveal things to come. That is the prophetic scriptures, especially the book of Revelation. You see, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all the truth, whether it was past, present, or future. But never, never, and hear me, 
Never outside the scope of Scripture. Never. Once you go outside the scope of Scripture, you're not in God's territory anymore. But the truth He guides you also is specific. This I want you to hear. I've been saying that all night. This I want you to hear. This Because it's the Word of God, I want you to hear it. Verses 14 and 15 again. He will glorify me for... He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now Christ, during his earthly ministry, never acted independently of God the Father. As we've been going through the book of John the last few years, I hope you have seen that. He never works independently of the Father. He always did his will. We see this throughout the Gospel of John. And just as Jesus did the Father's will, the Spirit also does the Father's will. Paul tells us in the book of Romans that the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So Jesus never acted independently um, of his Father, and the Spirit never acts independently of the Father and the Son. This Holy Spirit's leading will always be in perfect unity with the Father's will. He does not teach something new, but teaches what he hears from the Father and the Son. He hears the Father and the Son, takes it, and tells us. How awesome is that, that we can know God's mind once again. And once again, one of the primary functions of the Holy Spirit is this. You hear me? A lot of churches miss this. Is bringing our focus on Christ. Focus on Christ. The Holy Spirit will take the truth about Jesus and his work and lead his disciples in that truth. And as I said before, the first application is he will guide you into all truth was for the apostles and the writers of the New Testament. But he will also lead every believer in the truth. So the Spirit will lead you in the truth of the word of God. The Holy Spirit will never lead you away from the truth, but into the truth. And the truth is always going to be about Jesus. That's not saying that we don't speak about the Father, we don't teach about the Holy Spirit, but the Father and the Holy Spirit point us to Jesus. The Scriptures speak of Christ, both Old Testament and New Testament. You may remember when Jesus was resurrected back to life, he met up with two disciples on the road to Emmaus. This is one of my favorite Scriptures in Luke. And two of these disciples were sad because they misunderstood Jesus' death. You know, they thought, once again, he was going to be the redeemer of Israel. So they misunderstood his death. So Jesus had to explain to them what it was about. And turn with me to Luke 24, verses 25 to 27. <clears throat> now he's walking with them on the road to Emmaus. They don't recognize him yet. And he says to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scripture the things concerning who? The Holy Spirit? No. Concerning the Father? No. Concerning himself, Jesus. The Spirit of truth will never lead anyone away from the truth about Jesus. Another thing you must understand, that Jesus' disciples understood more about him in a short period of time under the power and wisdom of the Holy Spirit than when Jesus was physically with them. Not because Jesus failed to inform them, but because they were spiritually dull until the Spirit took residence in their hearts. And that is why he told them, it is for your advantage that I go away. And I have more to tell you, but you cannot bear it now. Listen, he will lead you into the truth of the gospel. In other words, how Jesus accomplished redemption for you. And then the truth of the epistles, how to live out that redemption. That's what the Spirit of God does. He shows us Christ. He shows us our sin and our need for a Savior. Then we come to faith in Christ. Then he shows us how to live out our redemption. You and I have much more than the apostles had when Jesus was with them before the Holy Spirit came and filled them. We have the Holy Spirit in us and the completed Word of God. Erasmus, 
the theologian of the 14 and 1500s, he said this, On these pages, you will find the living Christ, and you will see him more fully and more clearly than if he stood before you, before your very eyes. You want to see Jesus? Read your Bible. Study your Bible. Let the Holy Spirit illuminate his word to your heart. I remember when I first got saved, I would read passages of scripture. I mean, I just kept reading and reading and reading. And I would read passages of scripture and they would, I mean, like jump off the page into my heart. I mean, I'll never forget those experiences. Now I'm kind of speaking in general terms to Christians in general, but the Holy Spirit also leads you personally. Pastor Steve Cole says, the comforting truth is, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in you and tailors his ministry to you personally. He knows what you're feeling and ministers his comfort to you through the word or through other believers or sometimes through your unique circumstances. As Jesus says here, the Spirit guides you in the truth. But he does that as you study the word of truth. He knows what you need to know and when you need to know it, his, and when you need to know it, his aim is to make you holy in thought, word, and deed. When you don't know how to pray as you should, the Spirit prays for you in ways that you don't understand. So it's important that we don't grieve or quench the Spirit through sin, but rather yield every area of our lives to the Spirit's control. And I agree with Pastor, Pastor uh, Steve Cole. The Spirit not only works collectively through the church, but personally through each believer. As Pastor Cole said, the Holy Spirit tailors, tailors his ministry to you personally. He knows you personally. He guides you personally into truth, but always in accordance to the word of God. The devil, on the other hand, leads his followers into falsehood. Falsehood that leads only to destruction. It's amazing that the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth. Jesus is called truth. And the Father is called truth. Paul told the Roman church, let God be true, though everyone were a liar. In summary, God is truth. But Satan and his entourage of followers are, are called the opposite of truth. If you remember, Jesus was arguing with the proud, arrogant Jewish, Jewish leaders, and he told them in John chapter 8, verse 44, he said, you are of your father the devil. And you will do, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And Paul told the Thessalonians that those who are perishing refuse to love the truth and so be saved. So we should never think that we are being led by truth outside the Holy Spirit and his word. That doesn't mean, this is important, that doesn't mean the devil never tells the truth. Or doesn't make, I should say, true statements. But he twists the truth. And now it's not true. We see this when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. Matthew 4, verses 5 and 7. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone, Jesus. He told him the truth. That was the scripture. But he twisted it. Jesus said, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You see, Jesus got to the heart of the word. God protects us, but we don't test God. Whereas the devil tried to twist and manipulate the word, so Jesus would misappropriate the word. We have a lot of that going on today. Just turn on the TV. I listen to some of these... Some of these ministers, and I, I have to put my head in sh- down and shake it. This is the hallmark of every false Christian religion. They use scripture to manipulate the vulnerable into lies and destruction. Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons are notorious for this. And even many false teachers who stand bef- behind Christian pulpits. So how do you know the Holy Spirit is leading you into truth? 
I think it's a pretty obvious answer. Learn the Word of God. Do that. You'll never go wrong by learning the Word of God. You'll never go wrong by disciplining yourself, sitting down, taking some sort of time during the day, sitting down, studying, meditating on it, and loving it. When I um, first became a Christian, that's all I did was I just read and read and read. And then as you grow in Christ and you start getting comfortable, you know, my reading got less and less. But then I remember seeing Rabbi Zacharias one time. And I remember him preaching. I don't, I don't remember exactly what he was preaching, but he said something like the first thing that he does in the morning is get up, he kneels, prays, studies, whatever he does, first thing in the morning. And it spoke to my heart. And I've been doing that ever since. And I'm telling you, what happened to me is it really transformed my life. And it, and it helped me to be disciplined. And I love his word. I don't go... I don't meet with God in the morning now. The first, one of the first things I do. I'm not saying it's always the very first thing I do. But I make sure I spend that time in it. And I don't... I, I can't tell you that I love his word. And I love to be with him. Even if the initial feeling at first is... You know, I got too many things to do today. I don't want to... But I do it anyway out of discipline. Like when I go down and I open up his word, it just speaks life to my heart. You'll never go wrong by studying and meditating on the word of God. It'll change you. It'll change you. And still changing me. God only knows how much I have to change. And if you want to know how much I have to change, just go upstairs and ask him. And she won't lie about it either. <laughs> So the Holy Spirit knows those who belong to Him and will never lead you into error. Our responsibility, once again, is to learn the Word. In almost 40 years of salvation, I've seen so many people go astray because they don't know His Word. They pull things out of context. and They're moved and led by emotions or their flesh or the devil and the world. Any good parent who loves their child will never lead them into error. But as the child gets older and goes into adolescence, the teen years and adulthood, there's a responsibility to put into practice what they've learned. That's our responsibility, to put into practice what we learn. The Spirit, will, God will lead us into truth, and then we must put it into practice. You know, James said it clearly. Don't be hearers of the word only, but be doers. And again, the Spirit will lead us into truth about Jesus, not himself. Now, I would stay away from any church or ministry that is not Christocentric. In other words, Christ-centered. If you go to our website, beautifully designed by the Tulos, you will see that it says, Sonship Ministries is a Christ-centered teaching church in Bay Ridge. And that's what we are. Pastor Brian and myself make no bones about it. That's what we do. That's what we are, I don't want to say program to do, but that's what, we've, that's what we do because we love Christ. We love his word. And we know what the word teaches. Christ-centered. Be Christ-centered in whatever we do. We don't focus on anything but Christ and his word. That doesn't mean we don't talk about anything else. It doesn't mean, like I said before, we don't speak about uh, the Father, the Father's love and the great uh, Abba Father we have. Or we don't shy away from talking about what I'm doing now, the Holy Spirit. But when you preach on these things, it always points back to Christ, doesn't it? We equally honor, glorify, and obey the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. However, the Father commands us to come to Him, who? Through His Son. And the Spirit leads us to Christ. And this brings us to our final sub-sub-point. You know, we have three points, and in those points, the sub-points, and the sub-sub, we're in the sub-sub. The truth that the Holy Spirit guides us into is the truth that glorifies God, or Christ. Verse 14. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. First, we must see the perfect 
unity of the triune God. Jesus speaks only what he hears from his Father, and the Spirit only speaks what he hears. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are distinct in function, yet one God. We know that, the Trinity. But the reason we exist, why do you exist? To glorify God. Do you exist so you can enjoy life? No. But God will help you to enjoy life. Do you exist for your children? Do you exist for your husband or wife? Do you exist for your job? Do you exist for sports? Do you exist for hobbies? What do you exist for? To glorify God. You know, I've said this many times. Uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, Faith. The first question is, what's man's chief end? And it says man's chief end is to glorify God, but doesn't stop there. It says, and to enjoy Him forever. When you're glorifying God, you'll enjoy Him forever. You'll have that peace and that joy that you need. And you'll enjoy life. Once again, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is Christ-centered and Christ-glorifying. He glorifies Christ by revealing truth about Him to the believer. Jesus glorified the Father, how? By making Him known. And now the Spirit of God reveals truth about Jesus and makes Him known. This is so important, yet so many Christian groups miss this because they focus on the gifts and the blessings of the Spirit more than Jesus Christ. Pastor Steve Cole said this. He said, the Holy Spirit's role is not to glorify Himself, but Christ. He does not call attention to Himself, but to Christ. He does not lead us to focus on our experiences, but Christ. When people continually emphasize the Holy Spirit and their supposed experiences in the Spirit, they are not filled with the Spirit. The Spirit exalts Jesus Christ. And Dr. D.A. Carson, I'm going to be calling a few people. Dr. D.A. Carson states, Nothing brings more glory to our exalted Lord Jesus than for, for His followers to become steeped in all the truths concerning Him. Glory comes to Jesus as the truths of the gospel are established in the lives of men. And Phil Johnson, the executive producer for Grace to You, said, God is not glorified when the truth, where the truth is stifled, watered down, or adjusted to fit man's human preferences. And the last one is Dr. John MacArthur said, If it is the Spirit's purpose to glorify Christ in Revelation, how can it be any less our purpose to glorify Christ in proclamation? What is your purpose in life? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Johann Sebastian Bach, the great German composer and musician said, all music should have no other end and aim than the glory of God and the soul's refreshment. Where this is not remembered, there is no real music, but only a devilish hubbub. He headed his compositions, J.J., Jesus Juva, which means, Jesus help me. He ended S.C.G., Solo de Gracia, which means, to God alone the praise. You and I are here to glorify God. Anything we don't do to glorify God, and I'll say it with Bob said, is a devilish hubbub. The Holy Spirit of God helps you and me to glorify God by revealing truth to us so we can proclaim it and live it. When we do this, we glorify Christ. We can only accomplish this by God's amazing grace. Inclusion. Only the Holy Spirit can work in your heart to bring you to realize the truth of Scripture and the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a believer, then you understand that He, progress, he is progressively guiding you into all the truth about Jesus. Is your focus becoming more and more glorifying Christ? Is it? Ask yourself that question. If you never trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit of course is not in your heart and not leading you into truth. But that can change right now. God is merciful and He sent the Son Jesus Christ to the cross to suffer and die and to rise again and after three days rose again for your sins. You can experience the forgiveness of Christ and the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. And I want to truly 
And if you want to truly trust Jesus, or I should say if you truly trust Jesus, that is the Holy Spirit guiding you into the truth of the Savior. It's not going to drive you away from Christ. It's going to drive you to Christ. Romans 9, Romans 10.9 tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. That is the truth about the person and work of Jesus. The devil is not going to lead you in the truth about Jesus, but the Spirit of God does. But if you're a believer and you have a deeper desire to know truth and have a deeper desire to glorify Christ, I also believe that the Holy Spirit right now is making you more aware of truth and leading you to glorify Christ in what you do and say. When more truth is revealed in our hearts to us by the Spirit, you have a deeper desire to glorify Him. The psalmist tells us in 48, 14, he says that God will guide us forever. God will always guide you into truth forever. For you as a believer, God will always guide you into truth. You can bank on that. You and I need more the infilling of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives, don't we? So we can progressively understand the truth of Scripture. I want to learn more and more. I don't know about you. I can't speak for you. But I want to learn more and more about Christ. And I want to live the truth of the scriptures. And I want to glorify Jesus Christ because of that truth. Amen. As I end this message and we get ready for the Lord's Supper. Let's reflect on the biblical fact that we have the Spirit's presence in our lives to lead us into truth away from the lies of Satan. And we have Jesus to thank for that because of his death, which is represented in the elements that we're going to receive. And as Todd leads us in his song, let's think about the fact, because of Christ's death, we now have the Holy Spirit and the truth of his word to proclaim Christ to a lost world.